The Children Trap The Biblical Blueprint for Education This is a Reconstructionist radio production. Please visit garynorth.com forward slash freebooks to download this book. Chapter 8 We Must Count the Hidden Costs Quote, For which of you, intending to build a tower, does not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it? Lest after he has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see him mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Luke chapter 14, verses 28 through 30. It is clear that Christians have not counted the costs of public education. The costs of private education are clear. So much money per student per year. The costs of public education are deliberately hidden, so as to make political opposition more difficult. This way, the public will demand more of this free good. What Christians need to consider is the system of hidden costs in government education. Only then will we be able to make an accurate judgment of whether we should continue to vote to sustain it, let alone send our nearly defenseless children into it. The humanists are doing their best to raise the cost of sending children to private schools. Even with the free tuition of the public schools, a growing wave of parents are pulling their children out of the public schools. The government cannot compete successfully even by giving away a free good. So the humanists are trying to increase the difference between their free good and private education. We need to recognize this strategy when we see it, and then fight it. Removing Tax Exemption The power to tax is the power to destroy. This is a well-known truth articulated over 150 years ago by United States Supreme Court Justice John Marshall. Governments have learned that something they don't approve of can be taxed out of existence. This is the context of Marshall's remark. The state of Maryland was trying to tax an agency of the federal government. Marshall said this was unconstitutional. The federal government has greater sovereignty than the state of Maryland. But what about the sovereignty of God? What about the sovereignty of a rival government, God's church? Should the state of Maryland or any other civil government be allowed to tax it? If we say yes, then we are implicitly announcing that we believe in the superior earthly sovereignty of the state to the church. We think of taxes as a means of raising revenue for the government but the tax code is frequently used as a means to promote social goals. Promoting one social goal always involves sacrificing someone else's goal. There are no free lunches in life. Under the Internal Revenue Code, certain organizations can be exempt from federal income taxes. Among these are schools and churches. We understand how the government can control an institution by taxing it. How are tax-exempt organizations controlled? The government controls them by threatening to take away their tax-exempt status. When that happens, the organization has to pay income taxes on its profit. Contributions to the organization are no longer deductible on the donor's tax return. There are numerous other benefits enjoyed by tax-exempt groups. On the local level, the church or school will not have to pay real estate taxes. A school saves the taxpayers an enormous amount of money. If the cost per pupil in a government school is $3,000 per year, then a 500-student Christian school would save the public $1,500,000 per year. We would like to think the public appreciates this, and that the politicians would do everything they can to encourage such schools. That is not the case, however. The secular humanists who control governments want to control the education of the children. They don't care who pays the bill, just so long as it doesn't come out of their own pockets. A new way of looking at tax exemption has come into vogue. Legislators and government bureaucrats call the money that would have been paid to tax-exempt groups tax expenditures. They think the government is subsidizing the tax-exempt organization. Never mind that a school is saving the taxpayers millions. Schools are treated as though they were on government welfare. There are pressures from two sides to take away tax exemption. 
There are those who engage in revenue enhancement, a fancy name for raising taxes, and see an opportunity to enact another tax. There are others who want to make it as difficult as possible to run an alternative school, so they threaten to take away the tax-exempt status of the school. Back in August of 1978, a major effort was made by the Internal Revenue Service to do just that. They published revenue procedures in the Federal Register, the daily 200-page list of all the new federal agency administrative laws that supposedly were implied in the statutes of the U.S. How many Americans know that there is such a publication, let alone read all that fine print every day? These procedures said in effect that all private schools were guilty of race discrimination until they could prove otherwise. Racial quotas were established. Scholarships had to be provided to provide the correct racial mix. The whole business gave the IRS control over schools and churches. To make it quite clear that Christian schools were the target, the law specifically exempted schools formed before 1960, meaning the private preparatory academies of the elite that had been discriminating racially for a century before the civil rights movement of the 1960s. Thus, Christian schools that had spread rapidly since 1965, because of the increasing awareness on the part of Christian parents concerning the decline of public education and the dangers of the religion of humanism, were going to be placed under a massive bureaucratic tyranny. Christians were alerted by their newsletter network, and they organised to resist. Over 135,000 letters of protest were sent to the IRS, the largest number of protest letters in IRS history. Victory was assured when pressures were exerted on Congress to curb the plans of humanists in the Internal Revenue Service. The point is that the bureaucrats insist that whenever the state grants tax exemption to an organisation, it must conform to government policies. The US Supreme Court confirmed this doctrine when it removed the tax exemption of Bob Jones University in the early 1980s. This is why churches must be defended as tax immune, not merely tax exempt. The civil government has no legal right to tax the churches in God's eyes. Tax immunity is a God-given right, meaning legal immunity. We cannot argue this same immunity for non-church schools, since schools are not equally sovereign to the church. But we should at least recognise the threat when it arises. Land use laws Quote, An environmentalist is a person who bought his half-acre last year. End quote. That is a joke I recently heard from a long-time employee of our county government. Another person put it, quote, Some people move into Fairfax County, buy a half-acre of land, and then want to control the property of everyone. What is zoning? My brother-in-law, a farmer in Ohio, asked me several years ago, What is zoning? My brother-in-law, a farmer in Ohio, asked me several years ago. I grew up in that area. We never heard of zoning. A person owned a piece of land and used it for whatever purpose he wished. We were neighbourly and wouldn't think of harming the property rights of someone else. Besides, if we did, we could wind up in court. Times have changed. Since 1913, land use laws have made it increasingly difficult to use one's own land. Land is looked upon as belonging not to an individual or family, but to the community. At a recent zoning hearing for a church, I heard the head of a civic association state that the church had, quote, selected our site, unquote, for its building. The land was privately owned and under contract to the church. 
with the citizen acted as though the land belonged to them. Removing the competition. In 1985, the Christian school which I operate applied for a special exemption to build a school on 44 acres of land in Fairfax County. The government schools in Fairfax normally put 600 children on 10 acres. We applied for 576 children on our 44 acres. This was not acceptable. We lowered the number to 288. It was still not acceptable. Our site is very secluded. Nearest house would be 600 feet away through the woods. It could not even be seen from the school building. The school would generate considerably less traffic than the houses that could be built on the land. In every way, we showed that the school would have less impact on the neighbourhood. Even the reporters from the Liberal newspaper, the Washington Post, could not understand why there was any problem with the school on the site. Nevertheless, the County Board of Supervisors turned it down on a tie vote, virtually along party lines. It was pure politics. No official reason was given. The supervisors don't need a reason. One of them muttered something about the school not being in, quote, harmony with the comprehensive plan. Anytime the authorities don't like something, they can always say that it isn't in harmony with the master plan. What the humanists don't realise is that they aren't in harmony with the real master plan, God's master plan. The consequences of their lack of harmony will be eternal. They will be subject to eternal zoning. See Luke chapter 16 and Revelation chapter 20. The Fairfax County Office of Comprehensive Planning did everything it could to keep us from using our land for a Christian school. The land had a stream flowing along it for about 3,500 feet. Next to it is a broad floodplain. We wanted to clear some land there for a soccer field. We were told that we could not clear that land for a play area because it was an, quote, environmentally sensitive, unquote, area. One planner said that if trees were cut along the stream, the temperature of the water could be raised and trout further down the stream would die. If anyone has ever seen a trout in Fairfax County, he is keeping it a secret. The man's reason was absurd. At any rate, I told him, we weren't going to remove any trees along the stream. The county staff tried to make us build a horse trail along the stream so that the public could use our land. In other words, we could not use our own land, but we had to build a facility to be used free by the public. All I got from Fairfax County was a 50% increase in the tax assessment in one year. I could write a book about land use laws, and someday I just might do it. Let me share a few more choice items from my own experience. Back in 1964, an ordinance was proposed in Fairfax County that would have required all private schools to keep their land free of insects. No insects? Have they ever turned on a porch light in summer? The only reason given for not adopting the ordinance is that they figured out they couldn't enforce it. Getting the necessary zoning or use permit to use land for a school is only the first step. There are also complex site plans that must be drawn up and certified by professional engineers. These are submitted to the county for review. The review takes months and sometimes more than a year. The applicant pays for the, quote, service, end quote. Writing to myself. In 1965, I was required to write a letter to myself to obtain a site plan for a school building. 
I had constructed a building in 1964. The next year, I wanted to build on adjoining land. I submitted my site plan. It showed that I would be draining some water onto the land where I had built the previous year. A county bureaucrat explained that I had to obtain permission from the owner in order to do that. I pointed out that I was the owner. It said so on the extensive certified site plan that was sitting on his desk. That doesn't make any difference, he rejoined. You must have written permission from the owner. So I wrote a letter. Dear Mr. Thoburn, I understand that you own land next door to me and that you would like to drain water onto my land. Having known you all my life and being convinced you have always had my best interests at heart, I give you permission. I hope this fine mutual relationship continues as long as we both live. Sincerely yours, Robert L. Thoburn. The county bureaucrat took my letter and filed it away without batting an eyelash. Special Exemptions Land use laws are employed around the country to make it difficult to start schools. One must find a suitable location for a school. The land must be priced right. The owner must be willing to sell. After finding the right land at the right price and a willing seller, the school may be turned down because of zoning. Some people are even suggesting that schools be allowed only in commercial zones. The cost would be prohibitive. The environment is hardly conducive to a school. Government schools are exempted from all this. The state has no problems with land use for its own schools. If it wants a piece of land, it uses the power of eminent domain to take the land. Cost is no problem because the taxpayers are forced to pay for it. Often the government gets its site free. A land developer often donates the land. What many persons do not realise is that the developer is practically blackmailed into donating the land. The word is. The word for it is proffers. The developer doesn't have to give the land to the government, but if he doesn't offer it, life can be miserable for him. He just adds it on to the price of the houses he is selling. Someone always pays. When the government buys land or bills, it can tax us to raise the money. Governments also sell bonds. The investor's interest on these bonds is exempt from federal and state income taxes. Bonds also constitute a mortgage on all the real estate and personal property in the county. The interest rate is very low because it is being subsidised by the taxpayers whose income is taxed and whose taxes are raised in order to make up the difference. A Christian school, on the other hand, must pay market rates for financing. God has called us to have dominion over the earth. The secular humanists who operate the power state want to have dominion over man. As Christians, we need to learn a lot more about land use laws and their real purpose. We must become active in government to repeal these laws. Civil government should be protecting our property instead of confiscating it by zoning laws. Property owners who want to control the land around them should enter into voluntary arrangements with their neighbours. Covenants made in this way will protect property owners from undesirable encroachments. Fairfax County proposed an ordinance in the 1960s requiring churches to attain use permits in order to build. Only six Christians came to the public hearing to object. This was in a county with a population of nearly one half million. But times are changing. Recently, Fairfax County proposed to regulate what went on inside the church buildings. 
The Christian community came out in vast numbers. Over 100 speakers signed up. In the middle of the first speech, the county supervisors ran up the white flag. They were ready to surrender, and did. If the Christians had come to the initial meeting, where use permits for churches were legislated, the situation today would be different. The other costs. Hidden, and not so hidden. Free public education isn't free. It isn't even cheap, not by a long shot. For starters, there are the visible costs of operating the schools. These costs are usually publicised and may be the only costs the public hears about. Buildings are another cost. If the money is borrowed, the cost of interest must be figured. Tax-exempt, interest-bearing bonds are a hidden cost, as I pointed out previously. No taxes are paid by public schools on their vast real estate holdings. The money to run the schools is collected by another part of the bureaucracy. That cost must be figured in. All money that comes from the state must be considered. The aid from the federal government is also a cost. There are many subsidies, such as those for milk and school lunches, that represent a real cost to the taxpayers. There are licence fees and buses that are free to the public schools. I will not go into the social costs of public education, the tremendous cost to the taxpayers resulting from drug and alcohol abuse traceable to the humanist education of the public schools is beyond calculation. The cost in increased crime and other social problems, so well documented a century ago in Zachary Montgomery's Poison Drops in the Federal Senate, is also difficult to calculate. Suffice it to say that just as there is no such thing as a free lunch, there is no such thing as free public schools. They are much more expensive than we realise. Studies show that they cost two or three times as much as private schools, and that is being conservative about it. By taking so much of our incomes for the government schools, the state is making it more difficult to afford Christian schools. The Christian faces double taxation. He pays for the public schools. Then he pays again for the education of his own children in a school of his choice. The Roman Catholics have been doing this for a long, long time. They generally have large families and many came to this country as poor immigrants. But they have made the sacrifices to send their children to their own parochial schools. It isn't easy, but it can be done. In a later chapter, I want to offer some very practical advice on how a Christian can afford to put his children in a Christian school. Right now, I want you to realise that public schools aren't cheap and they aren't free. Paying the Price of Liberty Elsewhere, I have referred to Pastor Everett Sullivan's battle against the state of Nebraska to keep open his church's school. He won that fight. Nebraska has had a long history of interfering in private education. The state once passed a law making it illegal for any school, public or private, to teach a modern foreign language to any student who had not completed the 8th grade in Mayor v. Nebraska, 1923. The Supreme Court struck down this foolish and oppressive law. I like the title of a book by Orville Zabel, God and Caesar in Nebraska. Thanks to our Constitution and a Supreme Court decision rendered in 1925, Pierce v. Society of Sisters, the right to send our children to a non-public school has been firmly established. 
Under political pressure from a vicious secret society, the Ku Klux Klan, the state of Oregon had made private high schools illegal. It was a classic piece of anti-Roman Catholic legislation. In that era, there were virtually no private Christian schools in the United States, except those run by Protestant immigrant groups and Roman Catholics. The Supreme Court said Oregon did not possess the authority to enforce such a law. It has been said, though, that eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Another true saying is that, quote, when the legislature is in session, our liberties are in danger, end quote. We should appreciate the freedom that yet remains in the United States. We should not take it for granted. Have you heard of any Christian schools in the Soviet Union? I had a visitor from Sweden in 1985. She runs a Christian school with about 24 students. Her school is one of only nine Christian schools in the entire country. We have the freedom to send our children to a Christian school. I have set forth several of the ways the state tries to control these schools. There is one other important method of control that I want to discuss with you. I will call this, quote, pocketbook control. My mother, who never touched alcoholic beverages in any shape or form, used to say, talk is cheap, but it takes money to buy whiskey. As applied to education, her comment means that one has the freedom to send children to a Christian school, but it costs money. There is no question in my mind that financing Christian schools would not be all that difficult if we Christians could keep all of our own money that now goes to the public schools. We are talking about a lot of money. The public school system is far more expensive than most of us realise. There is no such thing as a free lunch. There is also no such thing as a free education. Someone has to pay for it, sooner or later. Usually it is sooner. The public schools are not free. They are very expensive. The education of your children and my children has a cost attached to it. The only question is, who will pay that cost? Some will say that education is the responsibility of society in general. They will look to government to pay for the education of their children. The only difficulty is that government has no money of its own. The government only redistributes money which it has first taken from the citizens. Forcing your neighbour to pay If you send your kids to the public school, you are, in effect, forcing your neighbours to pay for their education. Here are some ways in which they are forced to pay the bill. 1. A tax on any real estate which they own. This includes their land and their house. If they do not pay, the sheriff will auction their property. Do you think Matilda Jones, the 90-year-old widow living next door to you, should be forced out of her house because your kids need an education? If so, I suggest you read everything the Bible has to say about caring for widows and orphans. In most communities, the bulk of the real estate taxes go for the upkeep of the government schools. When the taxing authorities aren't raising the tax rate, they are raising the assessed value of the homes. Property taxes have been going in only one direction for many years. In case you haven't noticed, that direction is up. Older people have finally paid off a 25 or 30 year mortgage on their house. It is now free and clear. Or is it? The tax bill is more than the mortgage payment. But age isn't the main issue. Avoiding getting into our neighbours' wallets is the issue. The Eighth Commandment does not say, 
thou shalt not steal, except by majority vote. 2. A tax on the real estate of a landlord. Perhaps your neighbour doesn't own any real estate. Aunt Matilda, as you affectionately call her, rents her house, so she pays no real estate tax. Her landlord, who is supposedly too rich anyway, pays the taxes. The fact that the landlord is rich doesn't justify theft. God is no respecter of persons. Theft is theft. Christians are told that God intends to bless them covenantally if they obey him. Deuteronomy chapter 28 verses 1 to 14. He says that the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 22. Why then do Christians vote for wealth redistribution schemes? Because they really want to be taxed when God's word comes true and they become financially successful members of society? Or because they don't believe in God and his covenantal promises? I think it is the latter. They are unwilling to do what God says they must do in order to prosper. They are also unwilling to wait for God to prosper them. They do what thieves do. They grab the other person's money for their own uses. Christians who vote yes at school bond elections are violating God's laws against debt. Deuteronomy chapter 15, Romans chapter 13 verse 8 and also God's laws against theft. 3. A tax on the real estate of local businesses. Politicians love to tax businessmen. There are reasons for this. The businessmen are fewer in number than the customers. Since everyone has an equal vote, it makes political sense to sock it to the businessmen. The consumers will respond to the polls with votes for those political leaders who have kept taxes down by this means. Another reason the businessmen are targets is that they are perceived as wealthy anyway. They can stand the higher taxes. The problem with this is that businessmen must pay for expenses. Taxes for a businessman are no different from any other costs. The businessmen must pay for labour, insurance, repairs, taxes, etc. If the public deliberately votes to increase business costs, then fewer businessmen will go into business. Some will go out of business. Then the government will not be collecting real estate taxes or any other taxes from them. The public will wind up with fewer goods and services being offered for sale. Fewer goods will mean higher prices. They will become poorer. God will not be mocked. So, when Widow Jones goes to the grocery store or the shoe store, she will eventually pay more because of the higher taxes or learn to do without. So, Widow Jones had better remember God when she steps into that voting booth. 4. A tax on your neighbour's car. Matilda Jones, at 90, probably doesn't own a car. Her daughter comes by to take her shopping or to church. The car she drives is taxed. There is a sales tax or titling tax that was paid when she bought it. There was a gross receipts tax paid by the car dealer, passed directly on to the consumer in our county, not to mention numerous other taxes imposed in the process of manufacturing and delivering the car. Matilda's daughter pays gasoline taxes, taxes on the oil, taxes on tyres and taxes on repairs, to mention a few. The taxes increase the cost of buying and operating the car, Part of these taxes are used to educate your kids. 5. A tax on your neighbour's income. The humanist educators who run the government schools like to get state aid for education. They like federal aid for education even better. 
Homeowners are resisting higher property taxes, so the educationists turn to the income tax in order to find more money to maintain the spending programs of the free public schools. The costs of education get buried in the larger state and federal budgets. An added advantage to the humanists is that greater control of education is vested in the state and federal governments. 6. Other taxes on your neighbour I will not go into detail on all the taxes that one's neighbour is burdened with as a result of public education. If I haven't made my point yet, I doubt whether I ever shall. I shall just mention briefly a few more taxes. Some families get guaranteed government loans for education. Even if repaid, these are an extra burden on the citizens. With the recent wave of bank failures, many citizens are beginning to realise that government backing and guarantees are a real cost to the taxpayers. Government school sites are frequently donated by developers. We may applaud the generosity of the developers. Often the donation is a payoff to the government to get approval of the development. Fewer developers can afford to build homes for the public. Fewer homes means higher prices for home buyers. This is an example of the hidden cost of the government schools. Another hidden cost is the tax-exempt interest on the bonds sold to finance construction of new government schools. The interest rate is lower than the market rates because the bondholder doesn't have to pay income taxes on the interest. That means that someone else gets hit with a higher tax bill. The government is going to collect a certain sum of money one way or the other. Selling bonds is a favourite way to get school buildings right away. Citizens forget that the bonds have to be repaid. Often these bonds are not repaid for 30 to 50 years. Because of inflation, the bondholders frequently never get paid the true value of the money they loaned. The long-term bonds mean that the next generation is paying for the education of our children. There are hidden costs in education. The humanists, on one hand, do their best to impose hidden costs on their rivals, the Christian schools. On the other hand, they attempt to hide the hidden costs they impose on the taxpayers for maintaining public education. Christians have not paid sufficient attention to the moral costs of public education. They certainly have not understood the hidden economic costs. It should be the goal of Christians to assess the true cost of private education compared to public education. When they better understand the true costs involved, they will become less resistant to the moral and religious case against the government school system. In summary, 1. Christians have not counted the full costs of taxpayer-financed education. 2. The cost is not simply the money paid out to finance these schools. 3. The humanists are trying to increase the costs of private education. 4. Too many parents are avoiding this free zero-tuition service. 5. Tax-exempt schools are threatened with the removal of their tax-exempt status unless they conform to federal standards. 6. Politicians argue that such exemption costs the public. 7. They are seldom ready to count the economic value of the services supplied by the tax-exempt institution. 8. Land use laws restrict the spread of churches and Christian schools. 9. The government has exempted its schools, that is, its churches, from these regulations. 10. There are hidden costs in public education, buildings, bonds, depreciation. 11. The cost per student 
is two to three times higher than in private schools. 12. There are moral costs of forcing your neighbour to pay. 13. Your neighbour may be seriously injured by taxes. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.